You are now listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. Five, six, seven, eight. Holla, boys and girls, it's the BGN. Coming from the Marvel world to the DC friends. All the way from Hollywood to the PCN. She defends everyone from sleazy men. Born apologize for spitting Shonda rhymes. The space that we make is never colonized. We're talking games and movies and actors. Word. Better shake your booties for Black Girl Nerds. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan, and for this episode, we're going from comics to comedy. For the first segment, I had the pleasure of talking to Tyler F. Martin. He is a comic book and screenplay writer, publisher, editor, and creative director based in Atlanta, Georgia. He is noticed, he is most notably recognized for founding Godhood Comics, an Atlanta-based publishing company, and one of the fastest-growing and Black-owned independent comic book publishers in the U.S., He's the creator of titles such as Mega Woman, Sharpshooter, Galactic Patrol Delta, and the extremely popular comic series, The Antagonist, which I get to take a deep dive and talk to him about. So exciting. Um, You can check out issues one through three, and issue number four is on the way shortly. So all you supervillain fans, get ready. For our second segment, I had the pleasure of talking with comedian, author, podcaster, and actress Patricia Williams, aka Miss Pat. The New York Times notes her as brutally honest and outrageous. You probably noticed her on Netflix's The Degenerates and Larry Charles' Dangerous World of Comedy, to name a few. She's also a regular on All Heart Radio's wildly popular national morning show, The Breakfast Club. And you can catch her right now on BET Plus, The Miss Pat Show, which is out now. And also, if you would like to catch her live on tour, go check out www.misspatcomedy.com. All right, sit back, relax, and get ready for comics and comedy. Here we go. I'm going to give you a little food for thought here to kind of start us off. What's your definition of evil? You know, like, do you have a little devil, like, sitting on your shoulder, and you're like, oh, well, what if I tried this, or what if I did this? Or how about this quote? This is my favorite from the comic series we're going to talk about today. The road to hell is paved with good intentions. Uh-huh, it got you thinking. It had me thinking. I'm talking about the antagonist comic book series i am here with comic book creator writer tyler martin he's also a publisher editor and a creative director how you doing tyler i am doing amazing ryan thank you so much for having me here i'm so excited about today yeah i am i've been so excited to talk to you about this this is so cool before we dive into the antagonist and this family and these characters who are so cool i gotta start from the beginning because i know you're a self-proclaimed blurred uh lover of comics so we gotta start there and so my question is, is there a character or just what about comics in general kind of captured your attention early on? Uh, so I was uh, raised by a single mom. And I just remember uh, as early as like five or six, uh, mom and you know dad was calling and there was just tons of arguments, tons of chaos sometimes. And I remember that comic books and, and cartoons and just that Star Wars and just that whole um nerd or geek thing at the time was my escape um it was a way Mm. to go to another reality and i fell in love with it uh from then on yes you can tell like you always love like talking to the creators the writers of these series because you can tell it's like that it kind of gives you that release a little bit um you know that we're all like oh i wish i can just make that character that's you know kind of taking me away from life a little bit and kind of get it right through that character is pretty cool yeah i think 
Um, you're absolutely right. I think all of us, um, I always say that creative writing saves lives. I think all of us need some kind of outlet. Um, the world is too dark, especially right now. It's too dark. It's too stressful. If you don't have some type of outlet, it, it's just going to be so hard out here for you. So for me, writing and comic books, that was my way to say, you know what? Forget what's going on. I got my own world to figure out. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And we're glad you figured it out because, look, you're giving us some dope characters. So I'm going <laughs> to start with um, Godhood Comic. Right. And just like, what do you think about like just being able to start that? And then by the by the way, I got to mention for the listeners, you stepped away recently, retiring from teaching to go full force into this thing. Talk a little bit about that and just starting the whole Godhood, you know, like movement, I'm going to call it. You know, it's just a phenomenal to have black creators in the comic world. Yeah, I was uh, teaching middle school and high school. I did it for about uh, nine years. Um, you can retire. Uh, you're vested at 10 years. And so you can retire. And so I was like, I am not waiting another year. Um, I, I it's time for me to go. I just knew before I turned 30, um, I'm 30 now. But before I, I, I retired in 2018 and just before I turned 30, I wanted to do something new. I, I wanted to. Um, and plus, a lot of my teacher, they've been teaching for 40 years, like, you know, you got to get out of here. You got to do what you want to do. And so I didn't want to live. I didn't want to go through life without with, with any regret and saying, I wish I would have done this. And so um, God of Comic was a no brainer. I've always written my uh, own comic books. I've always uh, been drawing since I was, you know, about kindergarten. And I just wanted to put my own comic books out there. And so uh, with the help of a few friends and mentors, and they said, you know what, go for it. And uh, in 2014, we I found the Godhood Comics. It was a, a we're a publishing company here in Atlanta, Georgia, and we focus only on BIPOC characters. So black and indigenous people of color, um, our, our stories and concepts surround them. Um, and here we are five, six years later. And um, the, the feedback and the, the love I've gotten from the community has been astounding. And so retiring and walking away was the best thing. I have ever done in my life. I know my 60 year old self is going to be so proud of me. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Don't we all just want that courage <laughs> to just be like, listen, this day right now, before this time period, I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm not going to worry about, you know, this and that. Just go ahead and do like, follow your dreams and do what you want to do. So I think that's so encouraging for people to hear. Yeah. It's just like, you um, know, we got to, Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Give us some more, give us some more wisdom. Go ahead. Lay it out for us. It's just like, we all got, we got to go through life anyway. And, and I just, Early on, I was like, I, you know, again, it goes back to my roots. My mother was a very hard worker, an amazing woman. Um, one of the characters in The Antagonist is based off my mother, very powerful woman, but she worked so hard and she, but it was for somebody else, you know? And I always ask myself, if my mom had worked for herself, she would have just been so rich, not even rich, but just ultimately happy. Um, so that was the driving mm, force. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's really cool. Look, we about to get into these kids because I know y'all wonder what we're talking about. But I got one more uh, Godhood Comics <laughs> question for you. Godhood Comics, uh, Godhood Comics uh, Schoolhouse Initiative. Talk about that because you didn't fully leave uh, teaching, which I loved. And then, like, how can people get involved in that if they're interested? Yeah. So, oh, this is so fun. So, so it's crazy because teaching was a passion of mine. I love it. Right. Some of my lifelong friends are still teaching. Some of my lifelong friends have graduated and are former students. Um, and so comic books and teaching to blend, to be able to blend those two is incredible. And so, uh, one of the things I got ever since I, uh, 
started publishing comic books, my own comic books and got a comics, our fans and supporters, they wanted to know, how do we do this? How can we start our own publishing company or how can we write comic books? Right. And I, I kid you not, I get emails and DMs daily on the topic. And I said, you know what? Um, you know, for the past six years, when I first started, I didn't have anybody to help me. And I went through a lot of trials and tribulations in publication and uh, just putting together a list of what I learned and also colleagues in the comic book community who have also found major success. All of us putting our resources together if we can help the next creator, a comic book creator, come up behind us, avoid some of the mistakes, mistakes we made then that makes it all worthwhile. And so that's what the uh, Schoolhouse Initiative was for. It's teaching new and upcoming creators how to make your comic book from publication to printing to character development uh, from selling. And so the Godhood Schoolhouse Initiative uh, just started. We did a trial run last year. Uh, we had three classes so far. Um, they have been incredible. So now we're actually working on formatting that into an actual um, introduction into comic book creating uh, making it more, uh, you know, a nonprofit and trying to establish it a little more. So it's still freshly new. Yeah, I love that though. But see, but you're so right though. Like in that business side, people don't think about that. You know, they're thinking, okay, you got the name, you got your characters. Right. Hey, I want them to do this. But what are like the different layers? And I love that you're you're willing to break that down because that's a lot to be able to break that down and have a resource where people can go to. Right, right. It's tough. To, it, you know, it, you're having fun. You're creating comic books. I mean, it's the funnest job on the planet. But um, with any business and any uh, thing that you want to take to market, it comes a lot comes a lot of hard work and budgeting and also the understanding of how marketing works and all these other uh, analyticals, political things. So um, that's what the, the schoolhouse is going to do. Look, and while you guys check out the schoolhouse, I'm going to be still reading the antagonist and waiting for, you know, just book after book. Because, look, this series is so dope to me. The idea of just a villain and what do you classify as a villain? And then you put, like, beautiful melanin on top of that. It's so it's such a cool, cool topic. Right. So, okay. So we got to start with, did you have a favorite villain growing up? Cause I know for me, like you could kind of think, you know, like you got the Killmonger now, you got the Black Manta, but it's hard sometimes to think about like really cool, like black villains in comics. Yeah. So I think I was intrigued with villains very early on. Um, I remember uh, uh, my first watching the X-Men cartoon and uh, Magneto. Magneto is one of my favorite villains mm. and, and how he's based off Malcolm X, which we'll talk about a little later on. Um, I think without a great villain, you have no story. I mean, you literally can't have uh, a Superman comic book without Lex Luthor. So villains are extremely important. And um, more importantly than a supervillain is why they became a supervillain. Um, and so this story was just my passion project, something that I've always wanted to do. All right, so tell us you got to get you got to get into it for us here, Tyler. Tell us about the antagonist, the Evil family. I don't know if I said it good. I just made up something there, but I feel like you got to say their name with a little, <laughs> with a little extra behind it. Yeah, yeah. So it's uh, the Evels family. It's a play on the word evil, and it's pronounced Evel. So F E F F H U L L. Let me say F hole. Um, but it's about a family, a melanated African American family, and mom and dad, Tanya and Calvin and Evel, used to be the world's most deadliest and infamous supervillains Destructus and Ultima. So uh, 20 years later, we, you know, they retired for some reason. And then 20 years later, we found, find them in suburban Detroit try, uh, with regular jobs, good jobs, and trying to raise a wholesome, quote unquote, wholesome family. 
Yeah, uh, you know, yeah, definitely quote unquote for the for the wholesome part. But we love we love <laughs> how they getting down here because um especially especially where you're talking about like Ultima and um destructors and being parents this is crazy see this is what's crazy to me when you have this background and they're trying to figure this out but then you got the kids on top of it and you're like okay i'm trying to put my kids on the right path so they don't do this but hey it's you know it runs in the bloodline i mean they have powers so kind of walk us through like what was your how did you even begin to write the story of these you know super villain parents who were trying to hang up you know hang up the hat essentially in the beginning well, it was this was the most challenging story for me to write and create because because of who Tanya and Calvin used to be. Um, they were very ruthless supervillains. I mean, how can you create? How can you turn uh, a woman who used to, you know, I mean, just murder, 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 and turn her into a a loving uh, mother, right? And so, um, getting them, it's all about growth. I think all of us we go through stuff. We go we go and grow through stuff, and so. Um, you, the story right. takes place over a span of about 30 years. And so we see them from teenagers to when they first get their powers to when they, you know, why they be, d- decide to become villains and do all these bad things to when they first have their kid, their first son. And they're like, you know what? Now the only thing that's important is family. Um, so I think you, you take aspects of all of our lives and, and how we're not the same people we were 10 years ago. And so that made it more doable. But then again, they're still like, okay, well, I haven't killed anybody. You know what I mean? And so I kind of put my, my, what if I had, and, and how would that be, you know, how would that be when I have a kid and things like that? So it's definitely challenging, but, um, we, me and my partner, co-creator Felipe Dunbar, I mean, we spent hours, hours, hours of so many days at the table trying to flesh out these characters and their personalities and how they would operate as actual parents. And another interesting thing too here that I that I love that you guys um play with is the fact that um Tanya you can tell she cares a lot about her family but there's still something you know whether it's from her past or you know, going forward, like you could tell by the way, what happens with her boss. I don't want to give everything away from everybody. Cause I was shocked when I looked at that page. <laughs> yes. It's just the, the, I, right. Yeah. Like the idea that there's still something inside of her that's haunting her to sort of speak. But Calvin is like, okay, look, I'm done. I'm done with that. Like, look, we had a good fun, but he loves her. So there's this interesting dynamic where, you know, he's, it's not one of those things where he's like, okay, I'm out, I'm leaving, I'm gone. But you can tell there's a difference between them and just seeing that kind of power struggle in a sense. Because, you know, they both could go after each other with these powers. That's another thing that I think is cool. But they're, you know, they're very supportive of each other at the same time. Yeah. So Calvin and Tanya, you know, they've been together for a very long time. Um, I think they are in uh, their relationship is amazing. It's loving. But in, in some aspects, it's also very unhealthy. Right. Their dependence on one another is very unhealthy. Um, Tanya right. needs Calvin. Tanya needs Calvin to kind of keep her calm and Calvin needs Tanya because he knows she's going to get things done. Right. She's going to, she, she, uh, she, um, thanks fast and ask questions later. Um, so we'll explore soon that their dependency, their codependency on each other is very unhealthy to a certain extent. Um, Tanya, who I mentioned earlier, Tanya was crafted very, um, uh, was crafted after my mother. Um, my mother was very opinionated, very strong willed, a very powerful black woman. Um, and she was always just so feisty, um, always, you know, seemed like she had a chip on her shoulder. But it, but for good reason. Right. You know, when you're a black woman walking through the world and every, you seem like everything, everybody and everything is out to get you. 
um, you kind of develop that that yeah. paranoia, that that chip on your shoulder. Like you have to always watch your back. And whereas Calvin has said, listen, it's been 20 years. We have a family. It's not about us anymore. It's about the kids. Tanya's like, well, I don't really know who I am. Right. You know, you forced me out of this stuff. You forced me into it. I, I don't you know, she ne- ne- she doesn't necessarily feel like she's being herself um, and domesticated. So therein lies the, the uh, some more issues that lead to uh, the entire series. Right. And let me talk. Let's talk a little bit about this chip on the shoulder here, because this is one of my favorite scenes. When you bring in the Americans, the you know, the home runner and Sergeant Freedom and Lady Liberty. That was one of my favorite things because I love the feistiness of of uh, Ultima and Destructus in this or Tanya and Calvin in this because they were like, look, don't try to come up here with all this like, you know, BS and whatever and tell me, you know, everything is is okay and I should, you know, go for America on this because I feel like they were exploring that chip you have on your shoulder, you know, as a black person, maybe as a black woman, you know, in some aspects of that scene that was going on there. What can you talk about creating those characters and where you kind of pulled that from? Absolutely. So early on, we knew we wanted the antagonist to be perception based, right? Yeah, you have labeled these supervillains and you have these superheroes. But for different people who read the book, Ultimate Destructors may be a hero and the Americans might be villains, right? So uh, Malcolm X, you know, to a lot of people, this guy was a villain. And to a lot of other people, he was a hero. It's all based on perception. Um the, right. the reason Tanya and Calvin delved into villainy in the first place was because they saw an unjust society. And unlike me and you, they had the actual physical power to do something about it. Right. We don't have the power to mm-hmm. do anything about it. So they said, you know what? Uh, it, it, you know, black people have been villainized for so long. Um, Tanya and Calvin said, listen, if we have to take those labels to get things done for equity, for equality, by any means necessary, we're going to do it. And so that's what they did. And then you have the American who is pony boy for uh, the American dream and, and calendar and, and everything's happy, peachy go lucky. Um, you know, he stands for America's ultimate values. And the differentiation of where they disagree is where the Americans see what America is. Calvin and Tanya see where America, what America should be. There's two different things going on there. Mm-hmm. And so that's the disconnect that puts them on both sides of the line. Yeah. And I'm just, and I'm curious too, like, I don't know what feedback you've already received about it, but just the idea, you know, of, like you said, seeing the Americans or seeing the antagonist and, you know, picking whether you think they're good or evil or who's on what side, the reaction people have had, especially from the black community, to be able to see, like, if you, uh, you know, I'm like, you know, this is one of the things where, like, on a podcast, you wish you had a, where you can roll, like, some video for you guys somehow, right. because these things are amazing <laughs> to be able to see, you know, them in their, in their outfits when they're Ultima and Destructus and them as parents and just how powerful and strong they look and what that's going to feel like to younger people reading this to, you know, pe- really people of all ages, you know, when things are, certain things are explained throughout the comics, you know, you can have different generations reading this. Right. The, so the Americans were so symbolic uh, of what, uh, of Trump's America, right? And I, I won't say, you know, too much on that, but, you know, when people, when pe- when other foreign countries think about America, that's the, the Americans is a symbol that America has worked so hard uh, to portray, right? Uh, American theme, colorful, non-diverse group of people and that's what the americans right. are symbolic for now they aren't necessarily they are superheroes they are good you know they do do good 
um, but they're flawed and their flaws represent how much America is flawed. And as we progress through the story, we'll see the individual and how the Americans and how all of them are actually dealing with these flaws of their own that make them not so goody two shoes as they appear to be. Right, exactly. And, you know, speaking of goody two shoes, because I think these these kids do a good job of this, you guys, you, you got to watch the kids because you never know. I'm going to go. I'm going to go to Trey first. What do we, what do we continue to learn and not to spoil too much about him, but he's kind of like, he's, he's kind of the kid that, um, that I can identify with a little bit because he can, you know, he's riding that line a little bit where he's like, the parents are like, okay, he's here. I know he's doing his homework. He's in school. He's doing this, but, uh, Trey got another side to him because he get it from his parents. Right, right. And so Trey is the firstborn. Trey is the very reason that Ultiman Destructus retired from supervillainy. Right. She found out she was pregnant and it's just symbolic to real life couples who have plan. Right. We want to do this. We want to travel, we want to buy a house. But, you know, they get pregnant. And so plans have to be put aside. Um, right. Trey is a very quiet. Um, he's very quiet, very shy, but very strong willed, um, like both of his parents. Um, and so obviously due to his powers and abilities, um, he's not allowed to fight. He's not allowed to. We, talk, we, we spoke on earlier about passions and following our dreams, you know. Trey has the ability to heal very fast. Um, so obviously, uh, out of fear of them, you know, their identities being revealed, he's, he was taken out of fighting early on. He can't fight. He can't fight in the real leagues. He can't fight in the big leagues. And that's what he dreams of doing. So he is forced to fight underground in this underground, illegal, um, superhuman fighting league. Um, and that kind of has resentment. That kind of draws resentment from his parents, right? He resents his parents for, for what he is. Right. And what right. he cannot do. And he's 21 years old. He's a grown man and he can't even figure out what he wants to do because his parents have him on this leash. Um, and so once he finds out uh, who his parents really used to be, I think that's going to open up another can of problems. And then, too, we're going to move to um, the, the the younger son, who is a uh, super genius. I feel like who is about to like they, they definitely got to have him on a superhero team when you ride out. Uh, Cause he's over here inventing sweets where you don't have to worry about sugar and like diabetes, all this kind of stuff. I was like, that's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. Taj, yeah, well, Taj is eight years old. He is a super genius. That's his superpower, super intelligence. Um, he has a combined IQ with uh, Newton, Einstein, and so many others. Um, Taj is one of the characters that I'm very afraid of um, because I know his capabilities <laughs> right. um, and I know what he is, uh, what his again what he's capable of and what he will do um he is a lot like his mother uh which is very dangerous he's a lot like his mom um very brash and opinionated um he's very arrogant he know you know be, imagine being eight and you know you're the smartest person and uh one of the smartest people on the planet and you definitely know that you're the smartest person in the room and so mm -hmm. there's a, again there's a chip on his shoulder um his genius is being limited this is a guy, this is somebody who cured cancer when he was four years old. He can't he can't release that to the public because, again, it's going to reveal their identities. And so that's his resentment towards his parents that he can't realize his genius can't be actually fully realized. Yeah, it's just how it's just so cool, like just to imagine like somebody that young has accomplished all this. And he's like, look, y'all not ready. Y'all not ready for it. And we were and we were when you read the issue. If you haven't done all, done so already, you won't be ready for it. <laughs> for what he for what he's got covered <laughs> and what he reveals um so ewall uh is am i saying it right is ewall am i saying it right i was gonna say ewall again but i don't think that's right 
Oh, uh, Evel, 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 Evel. Evel, Evel. See, look at me all over the place here. Evel. Yeah, that's all right. Let me get that yeah. right. Evel here. <laughs> um, okay. So we're going to talk about the daughter here in the in the um, Evel family. What? Um, now, she looks like she just wants to live her best cheerleader dance life. But I think it's something else going on here. You know, you're, you're absolutely right. Like, Aaliyah doesn't want, she doesn't want these powers. She doesn't want it to be so secret. Like, this is a girl who's living, a teenager in the social media age. She wants to be seen. She wants to be loved. She wants to have a normal life. She's uh, She likes money. She likes guys. She wants to be out here, like you said, living her best life. And she, again, she can't do that because there's such shackles on who they are. The kids only know that they have superpowers. They know their parents have powers. They know they have superpowers. And this is in this world, a lot of people have superpowers. So this, that's not the, that's not the secret. The secret is right. that their parents used to be the villains, and so they don't know these things. You know, they just think they have a strict dad and a strict mom. Um, so Aaliyah is one of my favorites. She is a party girl, um, and she is someone who is really uh, she's like her father a lot, very strong willed. Um, but she also re- has resentment towards her parents because she feels that they won't let her be great. Um, and so when <laughs> the family has to deal with all these outside attacks, um, right. the real threat, is, you know, the real threat is going to be, um, you know, coming from within. But make no mistake, this is a very strong black family. Um, and so uh, what you won't see is disbandment or divorce or that kind of stuff. You know, they'll work out their issues as we all must. But at the end of the day, the Evels stand strong and the Evels job is to protect the Evels. Well, listen, we're not ready for the Evels. I'm just going to tell you right now, we're not ready for the Evels. Speaking of which, um, we got to talk about, uh, well, first of all, let me talk about issue three. I want to go to that first because the cover is dope. There's Michael Max behind the family. It already looks like a TV show to me. So right. I'm just right. like, I love these covers, by the way. Can't wait for issue four because I saw that um, that uh, title reveal as well. But I want to talk to you about, um, to kind of segue here a little bit, about uh, filmmaker Noel uh, Braham. Let me know if I'm pronouncing it wrong. You, you're, you're, you're pronouncing it absolutely right. All right. So talk about that connection and entering that world because I cannot, I'm like such a fan right now that I want to read more of this and I cannot wait to what this will look like on screen. Yeah, so early on, I knew... I've written a lot of comic books that obviously everybody who writes their comic books would love to see their comic books adapted into the big, you know, the silver screen. Or the big screen. Yeah. Um, I mean, that goes without saying, um, but I knew early on when creating this, I said, people need to see this. Everyone needs to see this, right? There's some people who won't see it because they don't read comic books and that's okay. Um, but I knew the symbolic message of the antagonist, what it means, where it's going, where I know it's going. I said, everyone has to see this. And so I strategically wrote this and created this to be adapted one day. Now, whether that can be uh, now or 10, 20 years from now, I just knew this was going to be adapted. I was so sure. Um, And so I um, went in early on, we, you know, we had a successful Kickstarter. We had we did twenty five thousand dollars on Kickstarter, very successful Kickstarter. And so right then is when I was like, OK, something is going on. People really love this idea. And so, uh, Noel, we actually grew up in the same neighborhood, same area. And we but we did just did not know each other. So we did not know each other. So he reached out early on and, and you know, talked, wanted to meet with me. And, and we met and uh, both of our passions and, and aligned um, our childhood where we come from aligned. And it was just a no brainer to partner with him. 
Yeah, and it's I, I just like I said, and like you said too as well, the antagonist, it's just one of those things where you know, you could just you could see it be even if you don't read the comics, if you guys see the covers, this cover art looks like the beginning of a TV show. You know, you're mm. like in a mix of action and you're in a mix of drama, like a soap opera. So it's it's very it's very cool how this looks right. here. Um and you know, I'm ready for our next one because you know we don't have black lightning anymore. So we're we're ready for that next that next uh right, all black family to right. come to the to the screen. You know what I mean? Like in that in that superhero right. form there. Right. And you know, even even without, you know, even take take away the superheroes drama, right? What you know, other than blackish and some other things, there's not uh, we haven't had a solid black family represented uh melanated family represented on TV in a very long time. And yeah, so it's long yeah. overdue. Long overdue. Yeah, well, I'm crossing my fingers. I hope so. I hope you and Noel got y'all like, you know, we're going to get all give you guys all of the melanin magic to keep it pushing because we hope to see this. hope to see this a premiere. And, yeah, yeah. And, we need um, all of it. Yeah, right. Just Because this will be, yeah, this will definitely be dope. All right. What can we expect from issue four? Is that already out? Am I behind? Am I, do I need to catch up? No, issue four is actually in production right now. It just started production yesterday. Um, it's going to be out. We're hoping to have it out in November. Um, November 20th is the date we've selected. Um, in issue four, we see uh, a cultivation of issue one, two, and three, and we jump into action really soon, really soon. Tanya's Tanya's actions for her with what you know what happened to her boss. Um, the whole entire family is affected immediately, and so issue four shows how dangerous it is, how dangerous it was for Tanya to do that, how dangerous it was for his fa- her family rather for her to uh, be that brash and make that decision. Oh man, yeah, I was wondering the fallout for Tanya here. Yeah, I'm nervous for her, man. And then that that mama bear mode is probably gonna kick in. And sometimes, yeah, I can't wait for issue four. It's oh, you be, are it's a genius. Dope <laughs> <laughs> look, look, I can't wait for it. I'm ready because y'all, Tanya, she she goes in and like just some of the looks. Like I'm Hello? I'm like I'm scrolling through the covers right now, you guys, and the eyes and the looks. Yet y'all just not ready. I'm telling y'all, go check this out. The antagonist, um, oh, Godhood comics, do not miss it. We got three issues out, y'all. Hey, I'm losing you. All right. Okay. So Tyler, thank you again so much for joining me. Look, you guys, antagonists, get ready for it. Go check it out. We got three issues out. Godhood Comics. They got some other dope stuff on their website to check it out. Tyler, give us some last plugs and last thoughts about the antagonist. Yes. Thank you so much, Ryan, for having us on here. Um, The antagonist is our passion project. It's our baby project. It's really what is going to put Godhood Comics on the map as an independent publisher. Um, It's out August 20th on our website. Um, and we are l- very excited. Uh, feedback is, we need all the feedback we can get. We, we love criticism and you can give us that by, um, following us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook at Godhood comics. And you can email us at Godhood comics at gmail.com. Thank you again, Tyler. I really appreciate it. You guys better go check it out. He, got, he already gave you the plugs. Go check out the antagonist. Thanks Ryan. I appreciate it. The black girl nerds podcast will return in just a moment. Respect, starring Jennifer Hudson, follows the rise of Aretha Franklin's career from a child singing in her father's church to her international superstardom. Aretha handpicked Jennifer to portray her in this film, the remarkable true story of Franklin's journey to find her voice and never lose faith. Her music shaped a generation, topping music charts with anthems still relevant today. From Think to Respect to Amazing Grace, Jennifer's live performances of Aretha's songs demand to be seen on the big screen. Respect also stars Forrest Whitaker, 
Marlon Wayans, Audra McDonald, Mark Marin, Titus Burgess, and Mary J. Blige. Don't miss Respect, now playing in theaters. As you're probably already aware, our taste buds are always changing. Some of the things that I liked as a kid, I don't like as an adult, and vice versa. And if you're like most people, choosing the right snack can feel like a trade-off between what tastes good and what's good for your health. With flavors like lemon pepper wet, badu sage, southern habanero, jalapeno, and exotic mystery, the great snack, you shouldn't have to sacrifice flavor to get healthy. Lemon pepper wet is my personal favorite. It's a nice salty and savory snack that I like to consume while I'm watching my favorite show on TV. And it's a fun and refreshing way to enjoy a light snack that's flavorful and healthy. You know what? Also, not sure if you're aware, but Rebellion Harvest is a black-owned pistachio company. And I am all about uplifting, empowering, and giving my coins to black businesses. So do me a favor, check them out, support them, rebellionharvest.com and you can get a discount. If you use the promo code BLACKGIRLNERDS, you get 10% off your order. Again, that's rebellionharvest.com, promo code BLACKGIRLNERDS to get 10% off your order. So I am so excited to have my guest with me today, comedian, author, podcaster, actress Patricia Williams, aka Miss Pat. How you doing, Pat? Girl, I'm fine. Other than any allergies, I'm great. <laughs> yeah, the allergies are not. We were just talking about it before we started recording. The allergies are not fun. Like, I'm in North Carolina. That, like, in the South, it's not fun. I tell you, they got me turning into a whole man. You hear my voice? <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, yeah, you sounded different. See, I wanted to, I didn't want to, like, you know, I didn't want to call you out for that. Because we already know, like, when you got to talk and use your vocal cords, podcasts and everything, it's just like, you got to do what you got to do. But allergies will get you. Maybe um, Allen got me sound like you like your daddy. <laughs> <laughs> See, look, y'all, this is why y'all need to go. Y'all need to get ready for the Miss Pat show because this is what you're gonna hear like constantly, just Pat keeping it real all the time. That's what I love and how I became a fan. But I want to ask you first off, did you when did you know that you were funny, or was it a thing where you just like I just got to get something off my chest? And you just started venting. No, I just always been a. I just always. He's talk shit. We always always just ran my mouth. I was I was the person that would say stuff other people was too scared to say. And when I was saying, people would start laughing. And um, you know, never thought about comedy. Never wanted to do comedy. Never really thought I was funny. I just thought I had a smart mouth. Hey, look, smart mouth will get you somewhere. I'm telling you, it'll get you. It'll get you start opening up some doors because we paying attention now. Well, that's what I've been working 20 years to do for, for everybody to pay a damn attention. <laughs> hey, well, you got us. Look, and like, I got to bring up too, like you've done like Netflix Degenerates. Um, By the way, if y'all haven't seen a clip about her cousin out her granddaughter, y'all need to check that out. I was, uh, I was rolling and dying. I don't have kids yet or anything like that, but I was just dying. It was hilarious. Uh, let's get one thing straight. My grandbaby started that. <laughs> <laughs> That, see, that's the one thing that had me rolling when you said that part. Because you're thinking about like this, like, well, you know, you always think like, you know, little kids, innocent, everything, but they pick up everything and we'll just keep talking. So that's why the whole thing had me laughing when you said she started it. Yeah, she started it. I just took it on home. <laughs> 
what um what I was talking to you a little bit too before we started recording how has it been just as a black female comedian and just like opening those doors and like you said you've been working 20 years to get people to pay attention like what has that been and like what's been like the biggest lesson for you uh the, the biggest lesson for me is don't stop keep going you know because I mean that was so many times I wanted to quit that was I mean you hear way more no's than you would ever hear yes but I'm I'm just I'm a hustler I'm a determined person and when I first started, I told my husband, I said, look, it's something here. And I was, my husband was like, why don't you just go get a regular job? You always want to be in the street. I said, no, nah, brother, it's something here. And I'm glad I follow my gut instinct, you know, you know, to be able to make people laugh. And, and you know, at first when I was young, I kind of enjoyed hanging out at the clubs late at night. And there's just a joy that I see when people laughing. And I'm, because I'm dark. And when I'm talking about dark things and helping people find the funny and the dark things in their life so they can take control of it. Yeah, because I like that's one of the things about um, the Miss Pat show getting into it here. Um, first of all, being like the first sitcom based on a black mom since um, since Thea in the 90s. That was that was dope, I thought. But just the idea of just being real about that stuff, like you said, things that people think, you know, oh, you shouldn't say that. Or that's too scary to talk about. You put in it. You put in an interesting spin on it where people can now voice that. And have you? Um, I know where. Um, by the way, you guys need to check it out right now. It comes out August twelfth. By the time this airs, but do you have you gotten any feedback yet about just your just your comedy in general and just being that real and not being afraid to go there? People are loving it online. To be honest with you, they it's this never been done like TV like this real like this no i'm not chopping vegetables uh the husband cook he clean while i follow my company career they are loving it because it's something different it's something everybody can relate to not only just black people it's a universal show it's just on a black network right exactly yeah it's definitely universal because there's so many so many different situations you guys although i do have to say i gotta shout out the black moms because i think y'all have like your own club Cause they'll just, they'll just know stuff from, from a mile away that the kid done got in trouble. We done did something. So I do got to give a shout out for that. But yeah, this is definitely universal. Um, it's, uh, <laughs> it's, yeah. I mean, black mom had that instinct. You can't steal. You can't lie. We feel it in our bones. What? Come on. Don't play with me. Exactly. Yeah. I've been called out a million times. So I know. I'm just saying I had to put that out there. Cause I don't know, like, you know, like all moms, you don't mess with moms, but I'm telling you something, a black mom, whoo boy. I, you do not get away with nothing. I'm just going to put it like that. Get away with nothing. Um, and I so, am a real black mother on TV. Yes. Yes. And it's so, it's so dope to see that. Um, so cool. But tell me, like, let's go back for a minute, though. How did the idea come? Because I know we got Lee Daniels, Brian Grazer. How did that come out for you? Like, where were you when you got the call? They were like, yeah, I want to give you your own show. And it's based on, like, your life, right? Like, a lot of yeah, your, your stories and everything. Mm-hmm. It's Lee Daniel, Ron Howard, and Brian Grazer. Gotcha, I did okay. a podcast for Mark Marin, a guy named Mark Marin. With podcasts were just beginning to get hot, and I did a mm-hmm. podcast. And someone from Imagine, which is Ron Howard and, and Brian Grazer company, heard me do that podcast about my life. And this person said, just said they couldn't pull over, they couldn't get out of the car. I was so interested, so they gave. I got a call to Hollywood. I mean, you know, I had like six calls to kind of offer me t- to kind of offer me TV shows, and it took it's a five year process. But that's you know, after after I, after I went to Imagine, they hooked me up with Lee Daniel, the first season of Empire, mm-hmm. and so we sat down, we had a conversation. I was like, Yo, I like him, I I, I want to work with him. 
And we just became we just became a bond. It took five years for this uh, TV show to come to light. Wow, man, that's crazy. Well, we go ahead, it finally came to light because it's just and then like the cast here, um, it's just amazing. Uh, we were talking about Tammy Roman off the top when we first started. Um, you know, Jay Bernard Calloway, like all you guys have such great chemistry. How long did that take to develop? And by the way, how do you guys keep straight faces? Like when you taking breaks and behind the scenes and everything. <laughs> <laughs> y'all you we're gonna release the blooper next week you please we, do <laughs> oh my god it was not easy to keep because the co-creator is a 26 year old young kid and he came in with his vision you know he really studied me he really you know he really put this show together i remember when we when lee went out and found him the first thing he said he said Tammy Roman and Javon Callaway. That's your sister and that's your husband. I said, no, they not. That ain't that big old black man ain't my husband. That lady crazy. She got talking on that with that bunny on her head on TV. And he was like, yes, yes, it is. And they auditioned and they killed it. Yeah, they did. It's amazing. To kill. Like you would have thought you guys just, they just went and found a family and just stuck the cameras in there and was like, go. <laughs> That's what you would have thought happened. Like, it's crazy. The chemistry, like the way you guys play off each other, the faces have me, have me dying too. Just like the stare off in the cameras, the zoom ins had me like dying laughing. By the way, did you, um, I know as a, as an audience member loving comedy and looking at sitcoms, I missed the live audience. I thought that was so cool that you guys had an element back. We, we did. We, we have a that's a live audience. And even during the pandemic, we had extras. They had to be called extras instead of a live audience. Oh, OK. And yeah, so it was a live audience. Every single every single show was a live audience. I mean, if you listen to the laughter really close, you will hear you. Hear, you will hear my daughter laughing. You hear one of the uh, one of my friends. He was like, hell no. <laughs> if you listen really closely, you will hear all of that in there. Was it how was that for you, like as a comedian, to get that feedback? Because you know, I know sometimes when you're on set, it's like very close, and you're like, "Oh, well, do they like it yet? Do they know what's going to happen?" Like, how was that for you? Um, I needed a live audience uh, to help bring me a life because I mean, I'm I'm an audience driven person. I'm a comedian, so we would shoot one show without an audience and a shoot a shoot a show with an audience, and man, was it great! It was it was just wonderful. I mean, it just helped me come alive, especially as a new actress, actress. Yeah. And for do you have like a favorite scene? I know one of my favorites, um, not to spoil it for everybody, because this episode had me rolling. But when you have um, when you have Pat trying to sell something for the school, I'll just say that because she tried to help her kids out, uh, be a good mom. And it goes like it goes left to where she goes to another past life. And you got people that, you know, you got to keep sneaking. You can't be snitching on things that's going down. But that was like one of my favorite like scene. Did you have like a favorite moment or like maybe a favorite opening monologue or anything that you did for the show? Uh, I think the one that I don't think you got to it yet. It's about uh, Henrietta, Henrietta, um, Henrietta. That was one of my Ooh, favorite Don't monologue. have a got to that yet. Ooh. Yeah. I think it's on episode seven. I can't remember, but I enjoyed reading that monologue. And they was really hard to create because, you know, you had to write them according to what the show was about. Mm-hmm. And so those long hours trying to get a funny monologue. And I was like, we're not doing this next year. <laughs> uh, yeah, I was going to ask you, we already putting that out in the atmosphere that we got. We got season two coming. Three and four and five. Okay, hey, I'm with it. Listen, I'm with it because I'm telling you the thing that's going on in the world. You need like 30 minutes of something just to escape for a little bit and just laugh and have a good time. 
And we here, we here to show you how to do it. I'm telling you, we, 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 you know, I didn't, I, we wanted it to feel real. We wanted you to show black love. We wanted to show a real black family to have real conversation. And you know what else and, too that I thought was, oh, go ahead, go ahead, Pat, go ahead, keep going. I mean, I mean, that's all I was saying. We just wanted to show real love, real black family, just, you know, just going through things in life. Nobody's perfect in this house. Yeah, and I like I was gonna touch on that a little bit too because I love the relationship um Pat has on the show with her daughter because it's interesting when you bring up race and having to go, you know, when you want think about going, um, you know, getting a better education and you're in a classroom, you're surrounded, you know, by white kids or your neighborhood is predominantly white. Um, you know, not a lot of people of color around. And the way that you guys tackle that, I think is so interesting because you don't make it where it's like one of those, it feels very after school special. You make it more of like, look, hey, this is reality. This is what it is. You need to learn how to make this work for you. Well, that's because 95, 95 to 98% of this show is real. It happened to me for real. And that's the conversation that I had with my daughter. He just wrote it. Hmm. Yeah, those are the conversations that I had with my daughter. She goes to all white school and she did not want to go to school. And so that bit when I said, um, when we talking about race, and she was like, you don't care what... You know, you don't care anything about race. And I was like, I bought them Paula Dean pots and they was on sale. That's a bit how you said. <laughs> yeah, that was one of those moments where I was just like, I feel like you looking at your face and then looking at when you cut to the camera. It's like so many moments where it's like, I feel like you're going to bust out laughing because you know, you know, you hit it on the money. Like, I know it was just hilarious. I know I'm done. Like, I, it's like times I'm walking around, and I'm thinking about a line that you delivered in the show. Where it's like, that is so true and it's so funny. And um, I think you kind of touched on this a little bit too, but where when did you ever like become comfortable being real? Because that's difficult to do and, and well, putting I, everything out there. I'm 49 years old, so I've always been real. But as far as putting it on stage, <laughs> probably from the beginning, I just didn't know what I was doing. But about 10 years in, 8 to 10 years in, I got really strong with paying attention to my past, paying attention to where I come from. You know, and just I just honed down on the crazy stories in my life. So probably about 10, probably about 10, 15, probably about 10 years ago. And I, I, I wanted to be different. You know how all some they expect black women to be one way, pop the pussy, yep. dancing. And I just said, you know what? I'm gonna go this way, I'm gonna go over this way right here by myself. And I just started to develop, you know, who I was as a person. Absolutely. Yeah. That's what we look. This is, it's just so dope. And just, I hope we all can get to that moment though, where you like, okay, you know, it is what it is. I got to be real, you know, face some of the things in the past. Cause it's so easy to just cover it up and keep it pushing. But you know, uh, that's why you guys need to check out the Miss Pat show. I'm just saying you need to get ready. Cause you got, I feel like you guys ain't ready yet, but it's going to be on BET plus. So go check it out. And you, I mean, once you see it on BET plus you, you realize, I realize when, you know, when BET plus picked it up, we found a home where somebody understand us. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't have to be explaining the, the silly stuff. So, I mean, we're so grateful for BET Plus for even picking us up. Hell, I didn't even know BET had a plus. Yeah, oh, hey, look, it took a minute for them pluses. Look, everybody coming out with the plus adding on to the channel. But we appreciate it because it gives us some different platforms so we can have some uh, good comedy in our life. But yeah, it take you a minute to add a plus. Life. um oh i gotta i forgot to ask you norman lear uh was a fan like seeing the pilot how was that for you that's pretty dope Uh, i mean the the co-creator is more to sitcom than i am so i mean it was great to me but i think he just went head over heels for it 
you don't know what. See the man who created some of the, the best sitcoms out there mm-hmm. in the 70s, 60s, 70s, and 80s, or whenever he started. And to have him to come in on autopilot, it really meant a lot. He really was genuinely said that he enjoyed it. Well, yeah, y'all don't know. I, they're just not ready, Pat. I don't think they're ready. But y'all, y'all go have to get into it. You have to get into it. Look, I'm gonna transition here real quick because um, I gotta ask you. I can't have you on the podcast and I talk about the Pat Down. All right, <laughs> yeah, that's my podcast, the Pat. So, Down. yeah, tell us, like, tell us, you know, take us through how you got started and everything. I need to add this to my riding, uh, my riding list of podcasts I listen to in the car because I saw an episode where it said you joined TikTok and I was like, oh my god, I must listen to this like right now. <laughs> um. And what was your question? What did you ask? What, um, just kind of tell us, like, tell us how you got started and what's like, what do you, I guess, um, what do you love about it? What's challenging? Because look, we got a whole, it's a whole list. People think it's a little bit easier. It's not just you put up the mic and start talking. It's a lot of work to go behind doing your podcast. It, it's a lot of work to go behind a podcast and the work I didn't want to do, but Joe Rogan kept encouraging me to do the podcast. And so, you know, I was like, oh, what am I going to talk about every day? Now I can't shut up when I'm on a podcast. I really <laughs> enjoyed my host and my co-host. Because we all got different views on life. And I think that's why people like us. Because Chris think one way, Dion think one way, and I think another way. And we bring all of that together and show no matter how much we're different, we still can fucking work and get along together. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's what I, that's what I love about the podcast. Uh, I love the interaction with the people. But it's not easy work. It's, doing a podcast is no way near easy work. Right. I mean, you know, I was lucky enough. I just came off of Joe Rogan when I launched mine. So mine went straight to the top in the beginning. So I didn't have Mm. to do, you know, no, I didn't have to deal with 40 downloads, 10 downloads. Thank God, because I would have (laughs) quit. You'd be like, that's too much. I'm not trying to keep track of that. Yeah, that's too much for that little, I give too much talking for that. Yeah, it's, it's no joke. Like, and then you feel like you basically just ask the people like, please listen to this. Please, please laugh at this. If you get caught up in the numbers, boy, podcast or the podcast will take you a minute. Yeah, you get caught up in the numbers, but you know, it's, it's a great, it's a great outlet. You get to put your voice out there unfiltered and do whatever the hell you do because it's your podcast. Now talking about unfiltered here, do you plan to write anymore? Because rabbit on the street books, look, look, I want, I'm ready for the next book. So I'm just, are you, cause we know you're busy though. Like we know you're working on like season four or five coming up in the future, but I'm just wondering if you're getting back into writing anytime soon. Yeah, we're working on writing another book uh, to go and write, but we are. Well, we can't wait. And um, I just want to say this cause a uh, Washington Post called you unforgiving and darkly hilarious. And I agree with that and so much more. And it's been so much fun to talk to you back, even throughout the sneezing and allergies. So thank you. Oh, thank you. I'm sorry about the sneezing and allergy. I hope I wasn't doing too much sniffing. Look, it just, it happens. Like, what are we going to do? I mean, it's just that, it's that season. It's that season, girl. And that season will get you. You hear me? <laughs> yeah, y'all better watch out. Look, look, why are you sneezing and blowing your nose? Go watch the Miss Pat show. Go do it right now. Do it. Watch it. Yeah, please watch the Miss Pat show. Cause so, cause I can get another season. I can feed them crack babies back at the house. <laughs> Not the crack babies. <laughs> Thank you, Pat. It was so much fun to talk to you. Thank you so very much. I truly appreciate it. The Black Girl Nerds podcast is produced by Jamie Broadnax. The opening theme song to our show is written and performed by Samus. Various instrumentals are performed by Samus, Sky Blue, and Shubzilla. 
You can find various episodes of the Black Girl Nerds podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Audioboom, Google Play Music, and Spotify.